Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sadaf Lodi. This episode is everything you needed to know about sex coaching. Finally, a topic that I love. I love all topics, but this is one dear to my heart. And I'm so excited to have Dr. Sonia Wright, who has been doing sex coaching much longer than I have. But before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is I'm not giving any kind of religious or medical advice. So if you have any concerns about your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions at all about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So welcome, welcome, Dr. Sonia Wright. And (laughs) if you could please introduce yourself to all of our viewers and listeners and take us on your journey to what got you to become a sex coach. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to be on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I consider it an honor. So, And thank you for all the work that you do. I think that is so important. And how did I get to this place as a sex coach? Um, Yeah. You know, I have been out in the world as a physician life coach since 2016 and kind of behind the scenes in my own life, I was in a relationship where I was not having much intimacy. And um, I kind of stayed in that relationship for a long time. And it looked like it was great from the outside. I was a doctor. We were raising our children. And it looked like we were living this wonderful life. But there was like this deep secret that was in my heart that was making me so sad all the time. And finally, we did um, go to therapy. But it was kind of too late to save the relationship. Too much uh, resentment and sadness and just separation that ensues from that when you're not really able to communicate and talk and deal with the issue. Uh, it got to the point where the relationship could not be saved. And so I continued to do my life coaching work and I decided that I wanted to do uh, work on myself around sexual intimacy because I figured I'm still the same person if I go into another relationship the same issues could come up. So I spent uh, a number of years working on that. And as I did that work, I realized I could do this. I could help other women. And so then I went on and got um, training as a sexual counselor. And then I kind of merged my sex, my sexual counseling with my life coaching. And I also worked in a sex toy store and kind of brought that all together in order to be able to help my people as the midlife sex coach for women. That is awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, So I know that you had uh, taken the University of Michigan course, Sexual Counseling and Education, and I am in that same course. So I love it. It's a a great course. Yeah, definitely. Very good. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, the types of concerns that you get from women that you see. And usually what's the typical age that you're seeing your clients? Yeah, so 
because I say midlife, right? Most of the women that I deal and help with are in the 40s and 50s, but really I've helped women from early 20s all the way into their 70s. So it's a wide range. Uh, so there is a focus that I do on midlife, uh, but there's also whoever I can help. And if my message resonates with them, then I'm here to help. So I don't actually put an age limit on it, but um, women that come to me with, with a lot of concerns, uh, often it's in that midlife range. I think that there might have been issues happening sooner uh, than that, but usually by the time you get to the midlife, you're ready to do something about it. Uh, you're like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in this situation. I need to figure out how to get the help that I need. So I think there's something about midlife that I love. And um, I think women uh, empower themselves during that time. And they really start questioning it, what their role is and who they are in life. And um, they kind of go for it, right? And, and they decide um, what their value is and what, what's important for them. And definitely relationships, something that's important. So that's where um, I come in to help. That's excellent. So, you know, so many articles that I've seen, that talks about women actually in their 40s that tend to become more sexually confident because they know what they like and they know what they want and they're not willing to settle. Have you noticed that? I, I think there's a group of women that that might be the case. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think there's a group of women that want something, but they're not quite certain and they want more in life but they haven't necessarily identified it or they don't know exactly how to, it's like all a process, isn't it? Like you identify it, you yeah. give yourself permission, you empower yourself, like all of these things are part of the process. And so we're all along that path, that process. And it's okay wherever you are, but you, like you reach out and get the help that you need. So yes, I do see some women that are in their forties and they're like, I don't give a damn anymore. Let me go out there and live my life, right? But then I also see uh, women that are like, I'm not happy and I don't exactly know what to do about it. And I tend to see more of the women that are like, I know something needs to change how and why and you know how it's going to look for me. I'm not exactly certain about that. Mm -hmm. And what have you noted with the life coaching and how it integrates with the sex coaching? Um, I It's it's part of it. Like, I don't know if I'd say it integrates, it's just part of the whole, right? Uh, obviously we need to have the sexual counseling and the information there, but very much so it, it really has to go back to people's thought processes and beliefs around sex and sexuality, what they were taught, what they were raised, how that interacts with religion, like all those things come in there, come into play. And the life coaching skills is a way of looking at our thoughts, looking at our feelings, figuring out how that aligns with our actions. And it leads to a result, whether it's a result, result that we want or not. If it's not a result that we want, um, then trying to track it back and figuring out how to get the result ultimately that we want, but not just I don't believe in just zooming right into the results because I think we need to spend some time um, kind of looking at the process, the thought processes and what's happening underneath and evaluate that in order to be able to really change, make change that's going to be permanent change. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what have you noted in the women that you've treated? It sounds like you've been doing this for quite a while, at least six years. Um, so what have you noted in the women that you've treated, like the most common complaints that you get? Oh, I think it's um, low libido is something, you know, where uh, you may have been interested in sex and sexual intimacy at one point in time. And then when you get to a certain age, there's a number of, of 
other things that are going on in your life and your libido feels, feels like it's changing. Part of it may be hormonal. Part of it may be we have other stressors in our lives that we have to kind of factor in that we may not have had in our 20s. Uh, there's feels like there's more pressure going on. So a lot of it is low libido, which I like to really look at this because uh, it's also how society says things should look and should be. Mm -hmm. And and we get to question that and see, is it really low libido or is like, and that there's something quote unquote wrong with us, or is it just a way of a different way of being? And then we come at it from a different process in order to um, end up with the result that we'd like to have. I think that's fantastic. What you just stated, what, um, when you talk about what society says we should and shouldn't be doing and how we should and shouldn't feel because I've been reading a book. It's called, I'm sure you've probably heard of it as well. It's called Sexual Intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it just talks about how as we get older, we need to just accept things the way they are. And sometimes, you know, you don't always, things aren't always spontaneous, right? You Sometimes you need to plan that date with your spouse or the day that you're going to have intimacy so that you plan for it and you expect it. And, and it may not be, you know, the spontaneous perhaps sex that you had when you were like in your 20s, but that's okay. And that's accepting where you are right now. And it doesn't always have to be wrong, right? Something doesn't always have to be wrong. Something doesn't always need to be fixed. It Sometimes it's our mindset. Yeah, very much so. I mean, if we look at it, our definition of sexual intimacy is always going to be changing because our lives are going to be changing. Things that are affecting our lives are changing. Our body and its function is going to be changing over a period of time. The only thing that's not changing is that um, we get to define it the way we want to define it. If we are able to stay flexible in our thought process and in how we define sexual intimacy and how we engage and touch and, and connection, then we continue to have like a lovely sexual uh, intimacy in our life and a good sex life, right? But if we say that sex needs to look the same way it looked in our 20s, then we're setting ourselves up for failure, setting ourselves up for a situation where there is no growth, where there is no chance for flexibility and things to look a little bit different as we change and as our lives change. And so that's where you see that it goes into this place of um, less and less sexual intimacy, and then eventually maybe stopping altogether because it doesn't match up with our definition of how it should. And so if our definition cannot change, um, then we're destined for for some difficulties. Absolutely. And just had, just like you had mentioned before, right? Difficulties and also perhaps resentment with your spouse and your partner because it's not matching up to the standards of what you set. And I think, um, and you know, you can tell me what you've seen also in your clients, but I think in some of the clients that I've spoken to, you know, that perhaps their partners are into pornography or something like that. And then what a lot of times clients forget or their partners forget is that that pornography is a lot of theatrics, right? It's acting. It's not exactly reality. And so perhaps what they expect out of their spouse or their partner is what they're seeing. And that's not reality. And I don't yeah. know if you encountered that. Yeah, very much so. I mean, with pornography, I don't necessarily, I don't come from a place where it's good or bad. There's ethical yeah. pornography out there. You, it's something, it's an individual choice, right? And a choice within your relationship as to if that's something um, that you want to allow in the relationship or not. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think that um, 
it portrays reality, right? If we understand that pornography is entertainment, it's not necessarily how women choose to be treated. It doesn't necessarily lead to more pleasure. It's something that's usually within a short period of time and there's penetration, but there's not necessary stimulation to the clitoris and the vulva. And, and it's, it is a lot of theatrics, right? But it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily play out in the way that's going to lead to a lot of pleasure for women. Right. Absolutely. So in terms of, you know, I read a recent article regarding um, decreased arousal and decreased libido that was written by, co-authored by Dr. Rosemary Basson, which, you know, as you know, has come up with the circular response, the sexual response for women. And they mention mindfulness as playing a big part in uh, helping with decreased libido and decreased arousal. How do you feel about that? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, our mind, you know, they, they say the biggest sex organ is the mind, right? So that mm -hmm. definitely has to be a part of that. And then with the mindfulness, it's about staying in the moment. It's about staying in your body and recognizing what the sensations are and not focusing so much on our mind that might be telling us some anxious thoughts or some things that um, might take us away from the moment. So definitely the mindset is important because we need to explore what the thoughts are and how we're feeling about sex um, just in general and during the time that we're engaging in sexual intimacy. So the mindfulness in terms of going into our body and feeling the sensations and then also being mindful in terms of what are the thoughts that are in our minds that are blocking us from having that connection um, with our partner, that intimacy that we would like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree with you 100. percent Is there um, is there any type of? I know that on your website you have a course, and is it uh, a course that people access if they want, um, you know, information on how they can overcome their thoughts, or what does what type of things do you teach in your course that's on your website? Yeah, sure. So my main course is Own Your Sexuality Now. It's kind of like a 12 week program, and it brings mm -hmm. you from uh, from the place where it's kind of like a journey, I like to call it. And so yeah. it's like you first we look at our starting point, like what's happening right now. And we look at it objectively. We don't look at it from a place of shame or whatever. We just say, these are the facts and this is what's going on. And we look at what our thoughts are that led us to this place and actions and, and the whole situation. And we take responsibility, but not from a place of blaming ourselves, but from a place of empowering ourselves where we can change this situation. And then we look at ourselves as sexual being because a lot of times we're not necessarily allowed. I mean, with the work that you do, sometimes people are not really allowed to be sexual until a certain point, right? They may get married and then they're allowed to be sexual. But if your whole life you've not had an identity as a sexual being and suddenly overnight you're supposed to be sexual, that's a very difficult thing. So part of it is incorporating being a sexual being into who you are and what that might look like for you and what thoughts come up for you if that were, were the case. Then we look at libido. Uh, we also look at anatomy so that everybody's on the same page and has an idea of yeah. what the vulva is because often we're just taught that we are a vagina. We're said that like men have penises and women have vaginas, which is not actually that like the analogy structure to the penis is the clitoris, not the vagina. So making sure that everybody understands what the basic structures are and then going from there looking at 
giving yourself permission for pleasure. What does that mean in your life? General pleasure and then specific pleasure. And then we look at body image and and then we start to look at prioritizing because for people, we may not necessarily prioritize our needs and our wants. And so that's something it kind of has to, it kind of sets it up for success kind of. And then we start talking about sex and sexual intimacy and sexual acts and adding toys in, or if you had any questions about that, and, and then we work on um, making a, a pleasure plan for you and your partner. And, and, and we kind of go through it. So it's a whole journey to help you uh, along the process. It's a lot of fun. It's a, one of the things I love doing, um, particularly with women. I do private individual coaching, but I also do this group coaching. And I love that as well because the women really bond with each other and they know that they're not alone in this. So, so much of what what happens around sex and sexuality feels like it's a lonely place. Like you can't talk to other people and find out that they're experiencing something similar. So where you can create a safe environment where people can come together, like, which is what we do with the podcast as well. Right. Um, where people feel like they can sit and listen and find out and get information and feel like they're not alone. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent, you know, and I love the fact that you incorporate anatomy and that's exactly what I do as well with my clients. And, you know, other people, when I mention that, they say, well, you know, you're teaching women that are in their thirties and forties about anatomy. Don't you think they know that by now? And my answer is no, <laughs> no, they don't, you know, hundred yeah, percent no. Cause like, look at us, we're doctors, right? We all had to go through anatomy, both of you. And I had to go through anatomy and it, we were not taught the female vulva in, 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 in medical school. And, you know, we're no. not taught this information. So how do we expect everybody to know it? Right. And to make yeah. sure that everybody's on the same page, we're just like, Hey, we're going to look at these structures. You may already know this, but we're still going to look at it. And people feel like they get the opportunity to ask whatever questions it is that they've always wanted to ask without having to feel like it's not a good question. Or it's not, good enough or smart enough or whatever. You just get to ask whatever it is. Yeah. And, and a hundred percent, right. Because like you said, we, you know, we are taught even me being a gynecologist gets caught up in calling the vulva, the vagina, and it's not, you know, and, and we, we get, we buy into what we're told and what we hear all the time. And, you know, without really thinking about why, why is the female genitalia just called the vagina, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> we're missing the point, right? We're very, we're yeah. missing a very important point, right? So, yeah. like, we need to know. Uh, everybody needs to know that your pleasure center is in your clitoris, and it makes sense. Like, the vagina is used. There's some pleasure with the vagina, but it's also the passageway where babies come out. You're not going to have thousands of nerve endings within the vagina. It's not going to be your pleasure center because you would have one baby and never do it again. You'd be like, that hurts so bad. I never <laughs> want to do that again, right? So it makes sense that it would be in the vulva area on the surface more so than within the vagina. And it just makes complete sense that it would be there. But if we're not taught this, uh, especially for women, we're, we're not taught about our anatomy, men or people with penises, they have their anatomy right there out in front, right? Whether or not they're taught, they're going to figure it out, right? But ours is kind of tucked away. And we might have gotten messages about girls can't touch that area or if you're a good girl and, and those type of things, which might make it such that you don't ever look uh, and you don't exactly know what your anatomy looks like. 
A hundred percent. You know, I just love this conversation so much. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of, as, as you know, I focus on uh, Muslims and sex coaching for Muslim women, specifically because I am a Muslim woman and, um, and I share that experience. But, you know, a lot of times what women are taught and, you know, sometimes I feel like more with conservative societies, but it, or cultures, but not always just conservative ones. I feel like a lot in general taught that, you know, sexes can be shameful, it can be painful, it can be dirty. And and so people come with those perceptions and and then don't know how to enjoy, right? And don't know that they can experience pleasure. And um spoke to a woman that is that is not Muslim and she told me that she had never had an orgasm and she had one at the age of 35. Right. So it's not just um one community that it affects, but I think it's, you know, it's all women and that all women deserve to experience pleasure and all women should know about their bodies and how they can empower themselves and get educated. A hundred percent. I agree with that. I mean, if you're just coming from a place where you think that sex is about pain and shame, you could go your whole life having painful sex, right? And never Not thinking to go to the gynecologist because you think that's what you've been taught and it's just something Not you bear that. and you just do what you need to do, right? And and Not you're right, that. That you wouldn't necessarily experience the pleasure. You wouldn't experience. And whatever your religion is, sex is a beautiful gift from yeah. you know whatever you consider your God. And you get to decide how you want that to be in your life. It does not have to be something that's shameful. I don't necessarily think that it was meant to be shameful. It's just some things that we put upon it. We get to have a construct around which we choose how and when we choose to engage in sex and sexuality, right? But if you're in a relationship, it is a bonding experience. It's a very loving experience and it's a close connecting experience, right? It leads to that intimacy. And I think that it's a gift uh, from our higher power in order to help us bond on this earth. And we also get to create other individuals through this process if we choose to, right? Um, yeah. So there's so many beautiful, wonderful things about this, but we've also uh, have put other things on top of it around shame and, and feeling like we can't necessarily engage in this activity. Um, but there has to be a way in which that you get to show up in this world as a sexual being with pride and respect and along the guidelines of your religion and your belief system that you choose, but from a place of enjoyment and pleasure and connection as well. Absolutely. I think that was beautifully said. Um, you know, what? something you brought up which really resonated with me is the fact that you mentioned um, how, you know, in, so for example, in uh, Muslim cultures and Islam, we are not uh, supposed to have sexual relations with anyone prior to marriage. So just what you were talking about, right? Like, so your whole life, you don't, expect, and I was just having this conversation a few hours ago with somebody else who was talking to me about another individual saying the same thing that, you know, so we're not supposed to have relations prior to marriage. But then soon as you get married, you're supposed to be that sexual being. How do you make that big jump when you don't know how to, you don't know what you're supposed to do, and you may not even know your own anatomy, right? Yeah. And in so many ways, I wish there like were a year in which like it was a gradual process 
for those individuals that are not engaged in any sexuality or, or for anybody that's getting that time into it. In a time in which you get to process what it means to be sexual, how you want it to show up in your relationship if you choose to you know, have sex only um, with marriage and things like that, where you would get to do that and get to have conversations with your partner. And, and such when you came to the point where you're going to engage in sexual intimacy, there would always already be communication there and connection there. And then you could go forth from that. That would be a lovely way of doing it. But unfortunately, it may be the case where it's like nobody talks about sex. You've kind of been taught your whole life it's dangerous, stay away from it. It's going to ruin your reputation. Only when you're married can you even think about it and engage in it. And then overnight, suddenly, it, it you know, like a, a something, a switch flips, right? And suddenly, then you're supposed to be a sexual being, but you haven't actually had that. So how do you go about the process at that point in time? Um, if in some way in your mind, sex and sexuality can be tied to joyful. So often it's it has... Um, been tied to fear and uh, this fear of pain, this fear that it's going, there's going to be you know, retribution and your reputation got like all these things that you need to protect against. Right. And then you get to the other side, but never has it been uh, introduced in such a manner where there's joy and pleasure. And, and if that could be something where like, okay, you make this choice, you get married and now you have the opportunity for a joyful pleasurable connection with your partner, with this one person that you choose, that you want to sustain a relationship. And this can only help for like a stronger bond. If it could be introduced in that fashion, and if it's not perfect at the beginning, that's okay. There's no such thing as perfection. If you're going to be with this person for an extended period of time, a lifetime, perhaps the rest of your life together, then recognize you have that period of time to grow this relationship and to make that connection. And, and to to explore your bodies and explore how this connection can be more pleasurable for both of you. Because if there is pleasure and satisfaction and connection there, then the bond will grow. And it will be a loving, very loving, wonderful experience that you're having with this other person. So if there were uh, an allowing and, and like a time and to recognize it doesn't always have to be perfect the way society says it has to be, but it gets to grow over a period of time. And there gets to be communication and you get to say um, what feels good and what doesn't necessarily feel good, knowing that if you're able to express that, then that can only help your relationship grow and become stronger. If it was kind of phrased in that way and introduced in that way, I think that it would be a loving time in a, a person's life and both all people's lives, right? That is amazing, Dr. Wright. I just, everything you said, <laughs> I think is, Fantastic. I mean, you're absolutely 100% right, you know, is creating those, right? And that's where the coaching comes in, is the coach somebody from, and that's why it's even more important, exactly what you said about how, um, you know, we, we meaning like, you know, some Muslim women are taught that, you know, you stay away from sex, it's bad, it's not good, it's going to ruin your reputation, all this stuff, and then you get married, and all, now you're expected to be the sexual being, but how do you make that connection? And you just, you said it so well, you know, you said to, it's, it's like changing your perspective and changing your mindset, right? So going from changing sex to, from it being something fearful, dangerous, dirty, to now 
trying to change that perspective and now making it into something that's joyful, something that's pleasurable, something that brings you closer to your partner. And that, you know, it doesn't need to be perfect. And I think, again, you know, those videos, perhaps, and like you said, there's ethical porn and things like that. But right. So a lot of times people are, if they don't have anyone to talk to, uh, they are getting their information from the internet or from pornography. And and on those, because they are theatrics, people think that that's what it's supposed to look like. And that's why, it, you know, it, it should be whatever they're seeing. And maybe it's, you know, pleasurable, whatever. I don't know. Um, but that they don't understand that it's not perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And that it is a journey and that you get to decide how it looks like, what you like, what you don't like. And you get to take ownership of it because this is part of who you are and who are you, who you're becoming, right? With your partner. And it's a journey that you're taking together uh, with your partner. And so I think that all of those things you said is, are so important and important for women to understand that it's not going to be perfect in the beginning, and and but it, it'll take time and it'll get to the point where you, you know, like it or want it or whatever, but it's, it's a journey that you'll take and that you will embark on your own and on your own time, right? It doesn't have to be rushed. It doesn't have to be rushed. And as you do this journey and your understanding of sex and intimacy grows and you find the joy and the connection and the pleasure, if you're able to give that to the next generation that's coming up, yes. Yes. you're able to say, yes, there is a place and a time for sex and sexual intimacy. And this is a way that you might want to, to think about it when that time comes for you, right? Um, so that it's not the same message being perpetuated. Like think about your daughters, how you would like their, their sexual intimacy to be in their marriage. You know, what would you like for them? And, and start having those conversations so that they can get a different perspective. And also, Having an understanding that messages that we might have received about sex when we were younger ourselves, you know, that it was wrong or dirty or bad or anything, it might not have been the best message to get because it kind of put fear into our spirit, but it came from a place of loving where people wanted to protect us and keep us safe. And that's okay that those messages came at that point. We get to choose a different message and we get to give the next generation a different message. You know, we can still keep them safe and help them to understand that these are important decisions that they're going to be making in their life. And also let them know that it get, can be a joyous and a wonderful and a loving expression of their relationship. That's, that is beautiful. You know, I know that oftentimes, um, you know, a lot of people are, you know, when we are teaching children, right, or young adults and say like teenagers and things like that, nobody really focuses on the pleasure part of it and where that fits in, right? So just like what you said, you know, explaining that for somebody that does come from a conservative culture, such as myself, you know, explaining that there is, you know, a time when this can be a beautiful thing and to experience that and to not put so much fear into, you know, experiencing something like sex so that as they grow older and once they're able to have those relationships, those thoughts still stay in their head that it's, you know, it's shameful, it's dirty. In fact, you know, that reminds me of a, a friend of mine that I have, and she, she stated that, you know, she doesn't have intercourse or very much because she was raised with the idea that it was dirty and it was shameful. And so once she got married, those thoughts have stayed with her and she just 
has no desire and that attributes her to her decreased libido and she's very young but she has no desire to have sex to be intimate with her you know husband because of those thoughts that have stayed with her and uh, she's not able to change them she's not able to change them now but she can also look at what she wants for her long-term goals in life if she would like for the long-term goal for her relationship to be like this beautiful mutual connection she may want to decide, you know, what thought she's willing to give up at some point in order to achieve the ultimate goal that she wants if she wants a closer connection with her partner. I mean, the choice is hers uh, and maybe it's a choice that they make together and they have conversations and it's not something that has to be decided right away. Um, but does she want that to go to the next generation? Yeah, that's a very good point. And also, you know, what you talked about before is how we make that jump from initially, you know, no sex to having sex after our wedding day, our, you know, wedding night. And, and that plays such a huge role, right? Because for some women, that's not a good experience. No, so then that's, and if that's been their only experience, mm -hmm. then that is what they base the rest of their encounters, right? The rest of their sexual relationship with that partner, that spouse, is that their only benchmark is that initial one. And that initial one may have been pain, it may have been shame, it may have been whatever it was for them. And, and then that also contributes to their mindset, right? Yeah. So and it's not also like a one-way experience, right? So our partners, if they're engaged and they're causing pain or their actions are leading to shame in their partners, they're going to be less inclined to want to engage in this as well. So it, it affects the women. And if you're in a heterosexual relationship, it affects the men as well, right? And so it's, it's both sides. Like I've seen very often, because I deal a lot with um, sex with pain, pain with sex and things like that. Yeah. And, um, and, and even if the pain gets sorted out, the partners don't want to touch them because they, they have associated, they don't want to cause pain to their partners, right? So it's something that uh, when the time comes that you want to deal with it, it's something that is definitely the women have to process and, but also, also incorporate your partner into this process and have conversations. And, you know, if it was painful or it was not a good experience right at the beginning, then it, the, you can slow it down and you can start again. You can really start again and reintroduce the touching and reintroduce everything that leads to the point of penetration and then add in the penetration once you get the, the pain sorted out and you get to create this, create this experience again and in a better way for you and your partner. That is an excellent suggestion. And really one that, you know, I think needs some thought is, you get to create those experiences again, right? It doesn't have to be one and done. It doesn't have to be that this is the way it's always going to be, but that there's room for growth. And that, you know, if we are able to change our mindset and change our perception and, but also incorporate, like you said, touch and, and communication, right? And incorporating and engaging your partner and making them a partner in this very personal, very intimate, act that happens and being a partner with each other, then you can, I think, move forward. And that's, you know, I, I feel like that's what 
you also say, and I think that's that's amazing because some women think that, well, this is the way it's always going to be, or maybe I'm just too old, or maybe, you know, uh, for example, with orgasm, right? Like I, I'm never going to experience an orgasm. I don't know what it is. I never had one. You know, it's not that important. Maybe it's frivolous. So I think that what you talk about, um, which is mindset, uh, it plays a big role, right, with all this coaching. Yeah. Now I have a question for you, and, yeah. and this is where you get to educate me some more on this issue. Now, when it's something where women have not really had orgasms, and I'm teaching uh, women around uh, self pleasure and masturbation, now. How do you come at that in terms of uh, the religious perspective? Because I try to incorporate it into the women's belief systems, but right. I, I think that you would have maybe a different way to come at it. And I'd love to hear how you yeah. address that. So absolutely. So, you know, there are different, so like with anything and like with any major religion, obviously I can't speak for everyone. And Islam, as we know, is not a monolith. Mm -hmm. So different, there are different schools of thought uh, within Islam. And there are four major schools of thought. Some of the schools of thought, and so it depends on like the region of where a Muslim woman is coming from, like her country and things like that, and the school of thought that she believes in. So some schools of thought say that absolutely not, you, masturbation is not allowed in Islam. Um, and in other, in other schools of thought, it is allowed, but it is allowed with your partner. So, for example, the partner can pleasure their, you know, so if it's an, we're assuming a heterosexual relationship, um, you know, the spouse, the, the man can pleasure his wife and, you know, get her to uh, orgasm. Um, foreplay is absolutely encouraged in Islam, like 100%. There's different um, teachings of our prophet that talk about the importance of foreplay and not coming onto their wives as beasts come onto their, uh, go onto their animals. So, you know, the, the whole thought of foreplay is very important. In fact, there's also another tradition of the prophet that says that when any of you engages in sexual intercourse, there should be an intermediary in between. And when the companions asked what that was, they said, you know, the prophet said it should be like sweet words and kisses mm -hmm. and um, alluding to uh, foreplay. And so foreplay is really encouraged in Islam. So in order to get, you know, the woman into the desire, into the mindset of, you know, penetration and sexual intercourse. Um, but like I said, there are different schools of thought. And so there are uh, a few more liberal schools of thought that allow masturbation. And um, so I was talking to a friend of mine, another colleague that is a physician, and she was stating, because the what I had read is that if a woman masturbates, um, as long as it doesn't go into the vagina, it was allowed. And what she was explaining to me that, again, it's different schools of thought, other schools of thought do allow. So if a woman is afraid that she is going to commit adultery because she is, um, you know, really desiring to have sex, but is not able to, for example, if she's, let's say, if she's a widow, she's not married, um, if she, this is before she's married, you know, if she's still single, things of that nature, and she's afraid that she's going to commit adultery or have sex outside of marriage, then she is allowed to masturbate and that she is allowed to put something in the vagina. So again, you know, it's, it is a sensitive topic. 
um, in terms of different rulings and different schools of thought. So I guess when, if you were to coach a Muslim woman, um, I would just be aware that there's, you know, they see things differently, like, you know, Muslim women, uh, depending on how religious they are uh, and what school of thought they ascribe to may have different feelings regarding, you know, whether it's sex toys or just masturbation alone. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. So um, yeah, I usually come from a place where honoring their belief system is the most important thing for me. Of course. And that if it's not something that they feel comfortable about doing, then that would not be something that I would encourage in any way. Um, but if somebody comes to me and they've never had an orgasm and they'd like to have an orgasm, normally um, I, I do talk to them about exploring and understanding their body and having a better sense of what stimulation might help them feel more pleasure and things like that. But I have also um, coached with people uh, and they don't necessarily, uh, because of their belief system, would not engage in self-pleasure by themselves, but possibly with their partner. And um, it's just what I found it is just a matter of talking and getting a, an understanding and kind of working within the construct of people's belief systems to help them. And and I haven't had a problem helping people in one way or another. But um, I figured I had this opportunity, so I would talk to you as well. Thank yeah, you. absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, so most schools of thought are completely are actually fine with the husband stimulating the wife, right? So the the only things, the two things that are absolutely not allowed, and this is in our related in our Quran, which is our holy book, is sex during menstruation and anal sex. So those are the two things that are forbidden. Uh, anything, everything else is pretty much allowed. Um, and so it's just working around, you know, the things that women feel comfortable with and doing and things like that. So, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So, well, this has been amazing. And I think it's definitely one of my, I think it's the longest <laughs> interview I've ever had with anyone, but this topic is so amazing and so close and dear to my heart. And I think that you are an amazing sex coach and I have so much to learn from you. So this is this has been fantastic. Um, so any leaving thoughts uh, that you want to leave with our listeners? I'm definitely going to put all your information on our notes on how people can reach out to you. But um, any thoughts or on things that women can do that you would suggest? Yeah, you know, what I find is the hardest thing is for is around the area of self-criticism and uh, really judging yourself. If, if in this process, you can suspend self-judgment. I know it's so hard <laughs> because self-judgment is so tied to our primitive brain that is about protecting ourselves and keeping ourselves safe, right? You would think that like, if we're very anxious or if we're um, criticizing ourselves quite a bit, the, what's coming from that is coming from a place of wanting to protect us and make sure that we don't get ostracized from the group, right? So when we're dealing with sex, a lot of shame comes up and self-criticism. If we can suspend that, maybe shift to a place of curiosity and shift to a place with like, oh, I wonder what this is about. Oh, I wonder what my thoughts are. And, um, and maybe from a place of self-love and also recognize that this sex, sexual intimacy, improving that situation can only help your relationship overall, which is a loving, committed binding type of thing. And if you have, if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you could have up to 60 more years 
of intimacy in your relationship or not. And it really comes down to how do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? How do you see the next 60 years going for you? You know, I, I think that um, if our higher power gave us this, it is something that is we take with respect, obviously, sexual intimacy, something that's important, valuable, something that respect ourselves, respect our partner, but there is a place where we get to incorporate that into our lives and lead loving relationships uh, and have that as part of it. That's amazing. I love that. Um, I love the fact that you state, you know, that people that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, maybe perhaps they have 60 more years of intimacy. And that is not something that we think about, right? Yeah. Intimacy as we age and and how that changes. And I think that it's important to know that we get to decide what our emotional and sexual intimacy looks like as we get older, right? What feels comfortable to us? What, what do we like, what we don't like? And how you can still have that intimacy. And it doesn't always have to be about penetration and vaginal intercourse. It can be emotional intimacy. It can be intimacy on so many different levels. So that that's what is really important. And that's how we really become, I think, sexually intelligent, right? Is to know that things change, but that we're okay with that. And, and that's just life. And that's life. And it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wright. This was so amazing. And it was such a pleasure to have you on with all of your insights. I just, I've learned so much and I'm sure our listeners have as well. So thank you so much. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So, well, I am done here. It's been real and definitely really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be medical advice. So please see your healthcare provider for any concerns you might have. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one -on -one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thank you.